Good morning. I was reading the Bible this morning, having, as I try to do every morning, little devotional time, and I came across a quote from one of my favorite authors, J.I. Packer, and he wrote a book years ago. I'm actually drawing a blank on the name right now. I think it was called A Quest for Godliness. I'm looking for a nod that maybe confirms he wrote that book. I think it was called A Quest for Godliness, and the, the book was about growing as a, a Christian and what that looks like and what it involves throughout your life. And he's got a whole chapter in that book about preaching. And so the point he makes in giving a whole chapter to preaching in that book is that one of the most important ways we grow as Christians, myself included, is by sitting under the faithful preaching of God's Word. So when I read that this morning, it, it made me excited because I don't preach regularly anymore. I don't preach regularly like I did for uh, over 20 years of my life. So when I do have opportunities to preach, I know how important it is that I show up ready as best I can to feed God's people and to feed myself even as I'm preaching His Word because that's how we grow as Christians. So was excited about that. And also I would say, though, that I'm sorry for what this church has been through recently. I don't know many details. I just know a sort of gist of some of the trials and changes that are happening right now. And I've been in church ministry long enough to know that sounds very difficult. And so when I learned a bit of what was going on, having developed a relationship with a lot of you just by being here week in and week out a year or so ago, uh, I was just sad. I was just sad. And my heart went out to all of you. So that's how I'm coming into this morning. Sorry for what y'all are going through and happy to serve you now in the best way I know how, which is getting our focus on God and his word. I thought about what to preach today and maybe at first thinking, you know, too highly of myself. I was thinking what would be the best sermon for this situation as best I understand it. And then I began thinking more soberly of myself and remembering that God is sovereign and in control. And I said, well, the last time I was with y'all was last April, and I preached on Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. So why don't we just go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7? That seemed to make the most sense. So... That's where we're going to be today. Uh, the Myers family 
that's my last name, so that's my family. Uh, married to my wife, Chrissy, for over uh, 20 years, and God's blessed us with six kids. Yeah, my oldest, Peyton, 21, with me today. Something you should know about the Myers family for this thing I'm going to say next to make sense, and it may make you like us more. It may make you like us less. We're a football family. We love football. We watch football. We play football. We coach football. We just we love the game of football. And so I have this opinion that I think, and I think my boys would probably agree, that football is probably the most difficult sport to name an MVP in. Now, if you don't know what MVP stands for, that's most valuable player. And to assign the role of MVP for a football team is very difficult because, in my humble opinion, American football is the ultimate team sport. So you cannot accomplish anything in a football game without the help of a teammate. You literally can't. As you understand the sport, you alone cannot accomplish a single thing in that sport without the help of a teammate, which is why I think self-interested, sort of self-centered players are least tolerated in the game of football. To win a game of football, every player needs every other player. Which is why, lastly, in my humble opinion, one of the best things a good football coach says to his team, and you'll hear good football coaches say this all the time. Some of you may even know the phrase that's going to come out of my mouth. He will look at his players and he will say to each one of them, do your job. Don't worry about what he's doing. Don't worry about what's going on over there. Don't worry about this in front of you. Don't worry about that behind you. Do your job. In a sense, I think that is what Paul says to the church in Ephesus in our text today. Each of them, for their own good and for the good of their church, each of them needed to do their job. He shifts gears. We were in Ephesians chapter 4, 1 through 6. It was, it was a long time ago, but he was talking about commonality. And now in the text today, he's going to talk about diversity. He moves from talking about what all of us have in common in those first six verses to now how each of us are different. He emphasized we are one in chapter 4, 1 through 6. And now he's going to emphasize that we are many. So he's said in some ways, uh, we're not unique and we're not special and, and we're, we're the same and we have a lot of things in common as Christians. But now he's going to say, in other ways, we are very unique and we are very different. 
And we are, we could use the word special and bring something unique to the table. And he, he does this to serve unity in the church. So in order to have a unified church, which unity, whenever something difficult happens in a church, listen, unity is jeopardized. So Paul's message here is that in order to keep unity, he said, understand what you all have in common, but now our focus today, also understand how you're different and understand that those differences, if understood correctly among God's family, are good for unity. So before we go any further, let's pray, and then we'll consider Paul's words more deeply. Our Father in heaven, we ask that through your word and by your spirit, you would teach us now so that we would love you more, so that we would love one another more. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you haven't yet, would you please open up to Ephesians chapter 4 to understand what these verses are generally about. I want to draw your attention to several phrases. If you see these phrases and these verses and you hear them, you're going to know at a high level what Paul is talking about here. Our focus this morning is verses 7 through 16. If you want to know what it's about, just listen to these phrases. Verse 12, building up the body of Christ. Verse 13, mature manhood. Verse 15, grow up in every way. Verse 16, makes the body grow. What is this text about? It's about maturity. It's about spiritually growing up as individual Christians and as a local church. Now, how does that happen? How does Christ do this with his church? How does he mature us? How does he grow us? Well, he doesn't just snap his fingers. He uses means and it's a process. If you're like me, you probably wish that it was more of a finger snap. I wish that I was mature as an 18-year-old Christian as I am today. And if, if I could somehow make it so that I was as mature today as I'll be God willing in 20 years, I'd, I'd do it. I'd take it. But that's not how it works. Maturity is a process, and there's no shortcuts. So how does, what do we learn here? How does Christ do it? How does he grow us up as Christians? And one of the answers, there's many answers, but one of the answers is one Paul gives in this text today, and it is diversity. There are differences and distinctions among us 
And this is intentional on God's part. And it is good for our unity and maturity. It is good for bringing us together and growing us up. So let's see the proof of this. Let's begin in verse 7. Verse 7 begins with the word, but. And you know that that word means that what you're about to read is in contrast to what you just read. And what we just read or what we read last April, for those of you who were here in verses 4 through 6, is that we are one. As Christians in a local church here, we are one. Paul said we are one body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one heavenly Father. And now, but in contrast to that, that's true, but also we are not just one we are many. We are, you are one church made up of many individual Christians. So he's moving, you see, from this unity that we have, this commonality that we have now to the diversity that we have and the differences that we have. Verse 7, but grace was given... To each one of us, according to the measure of Christ's gift. This grace here that we've each been given, it's not the grace of chapter 1 that was for salvation. This is grace for service. This is serving grace, not saving grace. Paul says, speaking to Christians... Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Here's the point that Paul is making in these next few verses, a point that he makes in other letters that he's written. Christ has gifted every Christian for ministry. This is how we grow. This is how we mature. God brings us together in a family, which is what a local church is. And we're not all the same. We've got very different strengths and weaknesses and experiences and personalities. And there's a reason that God brings us together with that kind of diversity. He's equipped each of us in different ways to minister to one another differently the word Paul will use in verse 12 is ministry and he means selflessly serving others for God's glory and their good maybe write that down if you want to remember what ministry is just a good basic definition of ministry it is selflessly serving others for God's glory and for their good. That's what ministry is. And you can and should do that formally and informally as a Christian. You do it formally as you serve perhaps within a particular ministry within your church. 
You lead music. You make sure the service is recorded. You come in early and turn the lights on and turn the heat up. You're at the door welcoming people as they come in. You set up for the potluck, whatever it is. There may be formal assignments that some of you have, and you minister to your church that way. That's not the only way you minister, and it's certainly not as if you don't have some formal title in your church that you're not ministering because you also can and should minister informally as you serve those people that God puts in front of you every day of your life. Will you selflessly serve them for God's glory and for their good? Well, Christ has gifted, Paul has told us here, each one of us. He says something real similar. You don't need to turn there. I'll just read it. 1 Corinthians 12, 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And Peter says it this way in 1 Peter 4, 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Let's pause for just a second and consider an application here. Each of us, we would be wise to figure out what God has gifted us to do for his people. We would be wise as Christians to, on an ongoing basis, consider that. Now, some might suggest to do that this was really popular when I first got into ministry 20 years ago or so, and it's still popular in some churches. I don't hear as much about it anymore, but you might become a Christian, and one of the first things they would do is they would give you something. They'd give you a test to take. Do some of you remember these? And the test you took would ask you a bunch of questions, and then at the end it would say, your spiritual gift is this. And maybe it would rank them, you know, your top gift is this, and then your next, and, and your third. You can go find some of those. And I never had great experience with them, and it seemed to change, and it, depending on when I would take the test, etc. Maybe some of you would find that helpful. But here's what you need to remember. It is true that God has graciously and uniquely, think about it this way. God has graciously he has built you and designed you in a unique way to serve his people he's given you a unique personality and your personality it's not my personality and he's given you strengths that aren't my strengths There are things that come easy for you. And I would just look and say, I don't know how you do that. It doesn't come easy for me. He's given you experiences. Think about your life to now. He's given you unique experiences that he hasn't given any other person on the planet ever. They're your experiences. 
and that has been designing you and building you that you could serve God's people. And you have opportunities that are in front of you that are not my opportunities. And I've got a personality and experiences and strengths and weaknesses and opportunities that you don't have. Why is that? Well, what we're learning from Paul here is that the reason that is, is so that, here's the point, we can glorify God by serving his people. And then we grow, and then those we serve grow. It's God's design. Christ has gifted every Christian for ministry. And then to demonstrate these next verses, to demonstrate the the grace of God in all this, it's not something that we do or come up with. This is God's grace. Paul takes a little detour to quote an Old Testament passage in verses 8 through 10. He writes, Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Verse 9. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. Now, that's an obscure verse, I think, and Not easy to understand everything that's going on in those verses. And we're not going to get into them as deeply as we could. But he's quoting Psalm 68, verse 18. Paul here is quoting Psalm 68, 18. But he makes a small change, which is very interesting. He makes one small tweak, and he does this, to make a point. By the way, you should not do this when you quote scripture. Paul was an inspired author of God's word. So we don't take Old Testament scriptures and just make little tweaks that we think might be helpful for people. Remember, this is Paul. We'll get into that in these verses ahead of us. An apostle, a prophet. God is speaking through him. But he makes a point here. He, he, he makes a small change, and I want you to see if you can hear it. So I'll just read part of that in Psalm 68, and then I'm going to read you what Paul says here. just, Just listen for the difference. When he ascended on high, this is Psalm 68, he led a host of captives and he gave, sorry, this is this is not Psalm 68. Let me do that again. Forget what I just said. Here's what Psalm 68 says. You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train. And receiving gifts among men. And now here's the change Paul makes. I wonder if you hear it. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. It's just one word. Receive gifts. Gave gifts. In the Old Testament, Psalm 68, it's describing a king. A king who returns home after winning a great battle. And as he enters his home city, he has behind him a train of enemy prisoners. 
And then what happens, according to the psalmist, following that victory, is that he receives gifts. The king comes back to town. He secured victory for his people, and so he receives gifts from his people. But what did Christ do for his people after receiving victory? According to Paul here, did he receive gifts from his people? Christ gave gifts to his people. These gifts we receive from God, they are not based on our own deserving. They are not based on any victory that we have won. It is by the sheer grace of God is the point Paul is making here about these gifts and strengths, experiences, opportunities you have that are unique to you. It's not you. It is by the sheer grace of God that he's gifted every one of us for ministry. Now, the second part of our text today is found in verses 11 through 13. And in verses 11 through 13, Paul focuses in on specific gifts given to the church. And in this case, these specific gifts are men with the exception of prophets and likely evangelists who have been enabled to equip other Christians by formally teaching the word of God. So he's going to, you've all been gifted, but now in verses 11 through 13, Paul is going to zero in on some specific gifts. And they are those who have been gifted to lead God's people by teaching them the word of God. Verse 11. And he gave, and here's a list of some of them, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Here's Paul's point. Christ has gifted some Christians for equipping. That's the word that he'll use in verse 12. God's gifted every one of us. He's made that point. And now... God has gifted some Christians for equipping. So let's put all this together so far. Pause and make sure that we're tracking with everything Paul has said in these verses. We could summarize it this way. Christ has gifted every Christian to serve. And Christ has gifted some Christians to lead by teaching the word of God. And all this to promote unity and growth in the church. That's Paul's message so far. And why he does this will be made clear. But first, let's quickly make sure we know who Paul is talking about here. As we're looking at this list, just want to make sure we're all on the same page and we understand who these people are. The first group he's brought up are apostles and prophets. And I put those together because they go together. 
apostles and prophets. They are linked several times just in this book of Ephesians. They're linked right here. They're put right next to each other. But also, back in Ephesians 2.20, it said the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. The church, the family of God, is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And then in chapter 3, verse 5, those two titles were also linked, where it says, The mystery of Christ has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So who were the apostles and prophets? Well, these were first-generation leaders in the church who were the recipients. They were the recipients and the proclaimers and the writers of the Word of God. That's who the apostles and the prophets were. And they were, Paul says, as they received the word of God and proclaimed the word of God and wrote the word of God, what was that? The foundation, the foundation of the church. The church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Here's the foundation. It is what the apostles and the prophets received from God to say to us, which we have gathered in the word of God. Once God had finished this special revelation, he stopped raising up apostles and prophets. They were, as Paul says, foundational. So be more than skeptical if someone today called themselves an apostle or a prophet. Even if they say something like, a lowercase a apostle or a lowercase p prophet as I've heard people say and you might be more than skeptical. Foundational. Next he says evangelists. Evangelists were men like Philip. You remember him in Acts chapter 21 verse 8. He's called Philip the evangelist. These were people who were raised up to take God's word to places that it had not been before. I suspect these people are still around. Maybe missionaries. And then next he says shepherds and teachers. And I would link those together as well. The main reason I would link those together is in the original Greek, they are actually connected here by a very unique Greek word. So they are shepherd and teacher. They are describing the tasks of one particular leader. So we might call him a shepherd teacher. We might know this man as an elder or a pastor, but he is someone who shepherds God's people, and the primary way he shepherds God's people is by teaching them the word of God. 1 Peter 5, 1. I exhort the elders among you 
as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, what are the elders told to do by Peter? He says, shepherd, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. 1 Timothy 5.17, Paul says to Timothy, let the elders, talking about the same leaders in the church, who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So this is a leader in Christ's church who shepherds Christ's people by teaching them the word of God. We see that next in verse 12. To equip, what is the point of all these leaders that God has raised up throughout the history of the church? To equip the saints for the work of, and here's that word, ministry. For building up the body of Christ. So here it is. It's getting spelled out as we get deeper into Paul's text. This is diversity, differences that are growing us up as a church. Christ gifts all of us for ministry. He gifts all of us to serve one another. And Christ gifts some of us to equip the rest of us to do that ministry. How? By teaching the word of God. This is why, among other reasons, the church for 2,000 years gathers every Lord's Day to, I would argue, the most important thing that we do on a Sunday, and not because I'm the one standing here right now, because an hour ago I was sitting where you are in another church. But this is why we gather every Sunday to sit and to listen and to hear God's word hopefully faithfully preached because that is equipping us for ministry that we would mature and grow as Christians. And look at verse 13. It answers this question. How long? How long do all Christians minister to others? And for how long do teachers teach? How long are we going to do that? How long are we going to minister to one another? And how long are we going to have teachers teaching us? Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Any of you there yet? You ready to punch the clock? I guess I don't have to minister anymore. I guess I don't have to teach. I guess I don't have to be taught. In other words, Paul says here, we minister to one another, Christian. We minister to one another until we die. Or Christ returns. Whichever comes first. And this is how we grow and mature and how others will grow 
and mature. In conclusion, let's move on to these last three verses. They begin with the words, you see those two words, so that, which means what's coming is some purpose. I always love to see those words in scripture because I always want to know, what am I supposed to do? So we have this truth that Paul has given us. Why is he giving us this? So that. Okay, what's the purpose here? Paul's already made some of that clear. He's gifted each of us and some of us to grow us up as a church. And that is the long-term goal. But here I think in these verses, it's a more immediate objective. It's very clear and it's a, it's a right now sort of purpose. It's a, it's a Sunday afternoon, as soon as service is over, sort of purpose. Why has, why has Paul told us this, that, that God has gifted some of us for equipping, gifted some of us for teaching? Verses 14 through 16. He's going to say it negatively and positively. God's doing this so that you don't do this, so this doesn't happen, and so that you do do this, and this does happen. First, he says it negatively, verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. And then he says it positively in verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So Paul says that Christ has equipped some Christians, he's just told us, for equipping us with the truth of God's word so that we would not be led astray into false doctrine and so that we would be equipped to speak truth to one another in love. Again, verse 14. We need this teaching. We need this preaching. We need these authors. We need other Christians. We need the truth of God's word so that we won't be children that are just tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. We need to know what the truth is so that we can discern what is not the truth. Christians need this. Maybe especially today where you know this, we live in an age of information overload and a lot of that information that we have coming into our brains and into our hearts all day long, some of us more than others, a lot of that is, is saying things about God and saying things about us and saying things about the world that we live in. 
And a lot of it, most of it, depending on what streams of information you have coming your way, is wrong. It's not true. And so we need to be able to filter all of that. And we're equipped to do that as we're taught the word of God. We need to know what the truth of God's word is because otherwise we'll be a little ship in a big storm and it's only a matter of time before you're shipwrecked. It's essential, Paul is saying. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part, that's you, you're a part, when each part is working properly, when we all work properly and minister to one another, we make the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So we understand that we have been given grace to serve God's people in unique ways so that the church will be built up and grow in maturity and unity. In other words, I would submit, Paul is saying, do your job. Do your job. Be under the teaching of God's word so that you understand truth and are equipped to minister to God's people. And then take advantage of the strengths God has given you, the experiences God has given you, the opportunities that God has given you, and serve as people. And again, very specifically now, zoomed in, there's an expectation here of what we should all be doing. And it is this phrase that we're all familiar with as Christians. We are to speak the truth in love. Easier said than done, isn't it? I won't... I mean, to do all of that, you got to speak. That's something. You got to speak truth. That's something. You got to speak that truth in love. That's something else. And most of us, because we haven't attained to the full maturity of Jesus Christ, most of us maybe do one of those things well. Maybe two of those things well. But for most of us, all three requires a lot of grace. Sure, we can speak up, some of us. Oh, sure, we can give you truth, some of us. But to speak the truth in love. But it's all of that, isn't it? We need to speak as God's people. Deeds are good, but words are necessary 
Words are important. Words are so important. There's a famous quote in church history, and I apologize if, if I offend you. I don't mean to when I say that this is a popular quote, but it's not a good quote, as best as I understand it. And the quote was by an early church father, and he says, Preach the gospel all the time, and if necessary, use words. You cannot preach the gospel without words. I think I understand his point. Live out the gospel. Show the love of Christ. But friends, that's not enough. We need to speak. We need to speak the words of the gospel that people would know. They won't know this by you being kind and loving to them. They won't know that Jesus Christ came, lived, suffered, died, rose from the dead in the place of sinners so that sinners could be reconciled to God. That's a message. And so we have to speak. Words are important. Proverbs 15, 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of fools pour out folly. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. We must speak. We must speak, Paul says, the truth. We need to consider what we say. Truth should be in our mouth. And then what is the tone of this truth? What is the tone of our words? What is the, what is the motivation of our message? What should be love. So friends, consider the words you speak. Consider the words that you are known for. Consider the tone that you are known for. Do we speak the truth in love? God has gifted all of us to serve one another in the church. He has gifted some of us to teach us the word of God that we would be ready to do this very thing, this very basic act of service that we must do for one another if we're going to grow and if we're going to mature. And that is to speak the truth 